Hey everybody, welcome to our second edition of uh, Composers in Quarantine Drinking Cocktails. I'm here today with Miho Hazama. Um, hi. Hi, Miho. Hi. Um, for anybody who doesn't know Miho, she's a Grammy-nominated composer and arranger, the leader of the New York City-based group M-Unit, which I can only presume is standing for Miho Unit. Or, right. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, correct. Very good. Very good. <laughs> you've just become the chief conductor of the Danish Radio Big Band. Congratulations. Thank I mean, maybe, so a f maybe a few months behind. Uh, they, those congr congrats are a few months behind, but... No, it's, it's totally fine. It's um, so nice of you, thanks. Of course. Um, and then you've conducted for the Metropole Orchestra. You've, you're you're uh, one of the, the featured artists on the Metropole Orchestra's Big Band CD of the music of Thelonious Monk at the Bim House. So. Mm -hmm. Miho Hazama, it is an absolute honor to have you here, featured for the second episode of uh, Composers in Quarantine, drinking cocktails. And my first question yeah. for you yeah. is, um, mm -hmm. what are you drinking today? <laughs> okay, so this is what I can, what I could come up, the only thing that I could come up to this time. This is whiskey and a soda, with lime, with uh, like a bowl of ice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a whiskey. I'm a, a, a whiskey lover, so um, yeah. But this is quite early still now, so I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, do with the uh, just the straight. So um, <laughs> well, cheers to that. I'm um, also drinking yeah. whiskey. I know um, whiskey mate. That's whiskey amazing. Mates. Yeah, whiskey mates. <laughs> we might not be able to do this interview in person, but at least we can drink a very similar liquid during I know, this that's conversation. Great. So cheers, cheers. and yeah, yeah cheers. thanks again for for joining us, Miho. Um, thanks for um, given that you've been all around the world um, presenting your music, conducting, um, mm -hmm. arranging, orchestrating, um, met, uh, uh, just a, a many, uh, a large amount of, of artists' music, um, mm -hmm. you know, you have such a unique uh, perspective, I think, on, on the music world right now because not mm -hmm. only are you uh, writing for your own projects, but mm -hmm. uh, you're arranging, you're orchestrating, you're conducting, uh, mm -hmm. you're collaborating with just an insane amount of people right now. Um, so, so how did you kind of get started in writing, mm -hmm. and what 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 brought you to where you are today? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, I grew up with just listening to so many kinds of music because my parents are absolute music lovers, and uh, um, I started learning, uh, studying electric organ, piano, and a composition. And I ended up going to classical music college back in Japan. I'm originally from Japan, Tokyo. And my major was a classical composition and my minor was a, a film, compo uh, film composing, film composition. But at the same time, as, um, as an after school, after school activity, uh, there was a music well, big band in a college, college big band. And then that's where I started playing jazz. I mean, I had listened to jazz music a lot before, but that was my first time playing jazz music by myself because the piano was the only instrument that I could play. And then that's how I got really interested in modern jazz compo com composers, such as Maria Schneider, Jim McNeely, Vince Mendoza, uh, Gil saying so um, I decided to take an audition of schools that they teach <laughs> and then that brought me to Manhattan School of Music where Jim McNeely teaches 
and uh, I studied a jazz co composition for two years for my master's degree, and that was my first time switching my major from classical music to jazz major. So um, after the graduation, well, around the graduation time from Manhattan School of Music, um, I decided to have a large ensemble by myself because I, you know, those times that I spent in MSM was a great opportunity for me to find my identity, to think about my identity, you know, what I could do for my, my life as a career, as a person from Japan, studying classical music, male, studying jazz music, um, female, Japanese, Asian, you know, so many weird things around myself. And that's just a natural background for me. So I decided to go with my instinct sense that a big piano is not my strength as a writer. I always think of strings in my head every time I try to write music. So I decided to have this 13-piece uh, chamber orchestra by myself for my graduation recital at MSM. And then I liked that instrumentation. So I decided to go ahead and uh, record with them. And then that was the, the debut album of M-Unit, Journey to Journey. So since then, it's been almost 10 years. And well, 10 years ago, I came to New York City. And after two years that I stayed in New York City mostly and tried to survive as a band leader, a composer and arranger. And then occasionally and eventually I started getting jobs as a conductor. So that's what I do now. Wow, so so many amazing things that we could talk about based off of what you just said. Um, yeah. You know, one one thing that, that's, that, that stood out to me is uh, that you brought up um, the, the fact that you are the, I, I, I think, you're the first person in your family to move to America. So the rest of your Correct. family lives in, in Japan. Mm -hmm. So personally, that must have been, uh, at least initially, challenging. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, 10 years ago, first of all, I could not speak English well. <laughs> wow, your English I is could perfect. Not even, no, I could not even order water at the restaurant. Wow. Because water was water to me. And water doesn't really make sense to American English. Water, water. So um, for the first three months of my life in New York City at any restaurants, the only drinks that I could order was not water, but beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. We're on the right yeah, podcast, exactly. right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that's how I became quite an alcoholic. Well, I mean, I'm not really an alcoholic, but I really like beer. And <laughs> that was no problem for me. But that's how, you know, my life in New York City started. So that was... Well, I did, I did not really think about homesick or, you know, cultural, like a shock or something like that, because I was already in Tokyo for a long time, which is also a huge city. So New York, either like, you know, Tokyo or New York City, both are very busy, big city. So I did not think about that difference, but it was just so funny that everything was so different. I mean, in terms of my life, that I can't really speak well, but everyone is, you know, trying to understand it, which was so grateful. I mean, I was so grateful that everyone was so nice at school, tried to understand what I meant. And music is also a universal language. 
that I did not really have to, you know, explain in words. I could go with my scores and the charts to explain what I want to tell them. So that also helped me a lot too. But yeah, the first couple of months was really, really <laughs> funny. That I think a lot of classmates can still recall how funny I was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So Miho, you are a pianist. You, your first instrument was, was piano. Um, but your writing for different ensembles, uh, mm. to me at least, it's not piano music blown up, right. you know, obviously, um, you know, that that is a, a certain method, but I think that's that's one of the things that Jim McNeely teaches. Um, mm -hmm. One of the first things he teaches, he says, if you write piano music and then you blow it up, it's not going to make sense. Um, sure. So can, can you talk to us a little bit about um, your your entry into composition and like your transition sure. from, from from playing piano to writing? Because I think that for, for, for many composers, there there is that moment mm. where, where you know, you, the way you said it, you, you recognize your strengths, you know. The yeah. way that I would say it is, you know, something's like awoken and you, you, you just realize that, you mm. know, I am meant to be a writer. I'm meant You're to right. be an arranger and a con an orchestrator, a conductor. So, yeah. So, so. Okay, sure. Yeah. Well, that's actually a great question. And uh, I would actually say quite opposite thing from now on, because my main background is not a ma uh, being a pianist, but I started learning electric organ, which is like a synthesizer with a lot of bass sound. So I started playing, you know, right hand as a melody, left hand with a harmony, uh, left leg as a bass, uh, right leg with a controlling program. So it's like a, you know, pipe organ or organ with synthesizer programming. Wow, so you were already writing for multiple voices. You weren't just limited, quote unquote, to your two hands. So not only, you know, for uh, writing for this instrument, but also I started playing that instrument uh, to copy classical symphonic music. So since I was eight or nine years old, I started copying Tchaikovsky scores by Tchaikovsky, Rachmaninoff, Prokofiev, Ravel, um, or Respighi, all my, my favorite composers from France or Russia or Italy. Um, in the early 20 centuries um, to learn from the hand score to to convert to the uh, my electric organ score and then I got to program those tone colors as well if that's the strings plus winds then I had to program as that and I had to switch my my program with my right leg so that I can switch my rhythm and the tone color or all, all of that. So that's how I basically learned all of the sound in my head so that I use still now. And that's all about symphonic music because I used to play symphonic music all the time with that instrument. That is amazing. So, yeah, so I still believe that uh, electron, that instrument is a perfect educational you know, tool to get the sense of tone color and mixture of timbers. Um, every time I write music, my brain sound is always symphonic music, always. So now writing for, you know, symphonic music, that's perfect. Uh, writing for Emma unit, that's kind of reduced version of symphonic music plus rhythm section. So that's okay. Writing for a big band, 
that's challenging because I have to always like you know convert that string sound to saxophones and brass all the time. Um, solo instruments, that's fine. That's probably much less people, so that I can you know have a different perspective on it. <laughs> My problem nowadays to play piano by myself is that okay I like. I have I already have so much sound in my head and I try to you know go through those sounds through my body and my ten fingers and that's not enough all the time and then the speed that I can get from my brain to fingers and not is not fast enough anymore because I don't practice every day I don't practice piano every day I do you know write every day but I do not practice piano anymore so I could technically play piano, but that timbre is not what I want. And uh, the, the colors that I have that uh, I imagine me playing piano is very different from what I'm hearing here and what I'm hearing from here, which frustrates me. So I personally believe that a pianist has such a privilege to have 88 keys. <laughs> And then so much color to express by himself or herself. It's so I mean, it's so wide range of colors and the range. And then now my brain wants to do that at once as a pianist. And then my my uh, technique or my physical reaction is not, you know, following that well. <laughs> so every time I play piano, now that started getting me frustrated. So that's kind of uh, one reason that I don't really play piano right now, except the times that I really want to hear my sound or, you know, I expected me to play on a piano on a certain composition. Yeah. That so my so brain cool. works. Yeah, yeah. I my can't believe that I never knew that. So, so piano wasn't your first instrument. It was the electric organ. Right. Well, I mean, piano was obviously the first one to touch, but that was not a main thing for a long time. I see. Electric organ was the main thing for a long time. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So now, uh, fast forward um, several years, what is your mm -hmm. writing process now that, you know, when you sit down at the piano, maybe to sketch out a piece, um, do you feel limited by that instrument as a tool for your writing? Or are you able to use it effectively how you want to or do you miss having the electric organ um what yeah more simply what is your your process for writing now what is your major your biggest tool right well nowadays i well it's been a long time since i quit playing electric organ mm -hmm. so since then piano is the only instrument that i can play and uh, that helps a lot for me when i compose because i can hear overtones and I really need to hear overtones when I compose. And then now considering that my acoustic piano is for me an orchestra that you could play by yourself. Like a single person could play. That's, but still that's orchestra or something like that. So I always need an acoustic piano when I compose and when I sketch. And that's when I keep writing down some ideas and if I like it and then I'm gonna just record it with my phone. Um, otherwise with the synthesizer or like MIDI keyboard or something, I cannot 
compose. So because you're you're on the road so much as a mm. conductor now, how do you um, still allow yourself to write when you're traveling? Is it more yeah. challenging, but you're able to do it? Is it something that you would just say, you know what, I, I need to wait to, to hear those those overtones when I when I get back to my, my piano? Right. How do, how, do so you, that's, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So that's been a challenge to find an either space with the acoustic piano or to find a great schedule for myself. <laughs> I usually go with a second plan. I prefer to just sit down, to come down, to, sit, to be settled down in a certain place, preferably my place here or my parents' place. My parents still have a piano that I used to use back in Tokyo. So either Tokyo or New York City um, to have acoustic piano. And when I, whenever I'm on the road, that I try to do writing jobs, but arranging jobs, arranging and orchestration jobs. Those jobs that I don't need acoustic piano because I can just imagine in my head really easily for compositions that I really need acoustic piano. So if I have to compose, really have to compose on the road, I try to call the, uh, the clients after the rehearsal if they have a space with uh, an acoustic piano. And if they do, then I just get there for two hours or something to get ideas and then record as much as possible and then try to read, read or like, yeah, um, to digest these ideas back in a hotel or something like that. Awesome. So let, one thing that you just said right now it, it, that mm. you brought up is the difference between composing and mm -hmm. arranging and orchestrating. and. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm sure that people that are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast right now um, mm -hmm. have heard, or if they haven't heard it yet, they really should, uh, your arrangement of Lady Gaga's Paparazzi <laughs> on your debut album, um, Journey to Journey. Right. So right. so that's that, is, that arrangement is such a departure from the original song that when you, right. when you think of Lady Gaga's version of Paparazzi, um, listeners take my word for it like this, this version is very different um right right so what is your approach to arranging and orchestrating versus composition do you find that there's like tools that you can use from composition and in, in arranging and orchestrating or vice versa do you you know let's just mm. open up that that can of worms right so like do sure. you approach composition sometimes from an orchestrational perspective mm. you know obviously arrangement being that it's a formal changing the form of a piece or like changing things about the the structure of the musical let's say the dna right mm -hmm. right that's mm -hmm. the, that's that's what to me arranging is so so how much of composition goes your compositional individuality goes into your right. arrangements and your orchestration and how much mm -hmm. of your arranging and orchestrational individuality goes into your yeah. your your composition right that really depends on client so for that Lady Gaga that is the, that is the best uh, answer. <laughs> really? Right? I mean, I think it, I think that's the thing that that's that's sometimes so overlooked um, right. in our field is that oftentimes you know yeah. unless you're writing for for your group for for M unit right yeah you're not writing for yourself and people can yeah, say exactly. to you you know what like that's such a cool arrangement that's such a cool orchestration and you're saying yeah, yeah thanks this is you know it's just what the client wanted. Yeah, well, exactly. So ordered. for that Lady Gaga arrangement, my, I mean, the client was myself. 
So uh -huh. that's, I don't really say that as an arrangement, like a, you know, arrangement job. Mm -hmm. That was more, you know, kind of a collaboration between composition and arrangement. Mm -hmm. Let's say if I were to write for uh, the Danish radio big band and a singer or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now I know <clears throat> the Arabic band's person, uh, personal and so that I know I have to switch my instrumentation brain from uh, M-Unit brain to the Arabic band brain. Now, if there were to be a singer, that's also another story that uh, she or he has original story, original lyrics, original piece, and uh, they might have a specific idea for the arrangement, they might have a specific key, uh, atmosphere, uh, request for arrangement. So that's going to be a big part of my imagination for this kind of arrangement. So that's, I really have to think about them a lot, my clients a lot. But at the same time, they asked me to write something. So now my problem is, okay, I'd love to, you know, take care of my client, but my next question is how much of myself could I get in that piece? Is it gonna be just slightly like 3% that nobody would probably notice? Or would that be even 60% that, oh, that might be probably Miho? Or is that be like 90%, like, like a Lady Gaga arrangement? You know, that's my next question that I always ask myself. But it, it well, it's been, it's, it's never been like 90% for my arranging jobs, <laughs> except my, uh, you know, my arrangements for my albums. That's because that's, that client is mine, me, myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And you yeah. brought up another really interesting point is that when you're writing for different ensembles, not only are you mm. writing, you know, for that client, like the big overarching like client, right? But you're writing for the individual members of the band. You know exactly yes. who's in the band, what they mm -hmm. sound like. Mm -hmm. and what to give them, what parts to write for them so that exactly. your music can be actualized in the yeah. most effective and uh, yeah, effective way possible. That's a huge part of my inspiration. That's, that's as much as, well, the more that I can get those informations, the more that helps for me to get uh, inspiration and ideas. And that's what I really like about writing for my band because I know them musically, but also personally as well, so that I can get to think about their character or personality in the music as well to reflect. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that is awesome. Do you, I, I mean, I'm sure that, that um, by the time you are, you've, uh, your tenure with the, the Danish radio band has, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, you're just gonna, that band is gonna start to feel like your band as well in a, in a, in a certain I've been way. enjoying writing for them. Yeah. And that actually one thing inspired me that they, they have been playing a lot of music with electric bass, that I had never ever written any music for a big band with electric bass. Now, last year I wrote something for them for the first time with electric bass. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, they definitely inspires me. I mean, they definitely inspire me. Right. So that's yeah. just another thing. So the composition can inspire you, the arrangement can inspire the orchestration, and now the band members, the personnel can also inspire oh, yeah. you. Absol absolutely. Okay. So what would your 
what would your advice be to young composers, even experienced composers who want to like A, start writing or B, just, you know, change up how they're writing their approach or just get a new sound um, yeah. going? What, what, what is one piece of advice that you could offer? Um, this is not, a, you know, for specifically for writer or arranger or composer, but also as a general perspective for me as a career uh and knowing yourself is the most important thing to me um producing yourself knowing yourself so that you can produce yourself knowing what you want to do knowing what your strength would be knowing what your what you are believing in then you can plan something ahead um, that was my, you know, goal basically for those two years at MSM, where I was so behind from everyone else, not only in terms of you know English, but also as a you know um, student who didn't have a jazz degree before. I was the only student who didn't have a jazz degree coming to master's degree of MSM, so I had a such less knowledge about jazz music, jazz history, jazz standards, everything. But I just found myself that I could go with my composing brain with symphonic sound. So here I am, that I'm working with, you know, kind of symphonic jazz orchestra, chamber orchestra, you know, my band is also chamber jazz orchestra, these kind of things. So it helped a lot for me to know what I want to do, what I believe in, or what I produce for yourself. I mean, for myself. Um, yeah, since you know, in especially in these quarantine time, that you do have a lot of time to actually ask yourself, and then to stop yourself and stand, you know, pause to think back or think actually future, what you want to do in the future or something like that too, that I'd, I would probably recommend everyone to know you more. To know yourself more, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, very beautiful. So you brought up another point, which is that we are stuck in quarantine right now. So what are mm -hmm. you doing to stay motivated, to stay productive, to stay relaxed? Mm. Um, well, fortunately, well, you know, my main job is to write music. So I still do have a lot of writing jobs coming from budget from last year, I think. <laughs> um, although all of the performance gigs are canceled and um, all of, you know, music festival in the summer um, these are also getting cancelled and then that's very sad that uh, you know I'm losing all of the uh, exciting events uh, through the, the summer but in terms of working um, I do still have uh, a lot of things to work on and I had been very bad at making uh, deadlines <laughs> so now this is a great time for me to to uh, keep up with the uh, deadlines to get back myself on the track that I can be on time. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, but I mean, this occupation is going to be the one that is going to get more impact much later. Now all the players and the productions are shut down, but they can't make money or budget for next season or something like that. So uh, I'm afraid that my you know, jobs as a writing, as a writer, are going to get affected like next season or next year or something like that. But for now, I try to not think about that too much and uh, to, you know, to do the normal life as much as possible. Because being stuck in my apartment was also a part of my job <laughs> since the corona, before the corona time. Yeah. And now, since everyone's struggling with that, and then I once got a little bit you know, uh, impact, I mean, influenced by that kind of downside, being dark and the struggle to get my, you know, self-motivation. But now, yeah, you know, slowly, but I don't really, um, well, I mean, slowly I tried to get my self-discipline back, but also at the same time, I tried to not be hard on myself too much. So it goes up and down, but that's my quarantine life, I guess. <laughs> That's my hashtag quarantine life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a really great mix of, you know, being a, you know, being a, a dedicated professional and being a, you know, dedicated human. So. Mm -hmm. um, well, I do admire and respect that everyone's trying to survive as a musician and then, you know, try to invent something different. Uh, from live performance to something online and, uh, um, you know, uh, internet kind of uh, right. events. Right, it's a whole yeah. new world. Which is, yeah, very inspiring, yeah. Do you think that that's going to persist? Do you think after the, the quarantine is over, do you think that, that the internet um, is going to, the way that we're working literally now is going to mm. change the way that we work in the future? I... I have no idea. Well, I, I've been quite a far away from those industry, to be honest. Um, I've known about the name YouTuber, but, uh, you know, I don't really watch those videos, so I had no idea what that means. But um, I'm just, you know, so um, it, it is just inspiring for me to see, you know, what people are doing right now to to to, you know, make some things to happen. But at the same time, I actually was in Denmark um, exactly like uh, when this pandemic was starting. And on the day of the concert that we were, you know, supposed to have a concert with uh, um, 1200 people, um, in the morning of the concert day, um, the Danish government announced a concert without audiences and so we we had to do a concert and the tv show without any people in a concert hall and then that felt so strange and so sad so that was a great opportunity for me to realize okay how much it means to us to play for people play for audiences and then they support us and then they enjoy the music and then i I believe that that's such a precious thing now. So I'm looking forward to going back to my to myself, you know, going back, bringing back to you know live performances. But also, 
I really hope that uh, you know all, all, both of musicians or like artists and also audiences are going to appreciate how special it is to make this art in the same space together. It's not a you know one side going to audiences. Like audiences are here. That's why artists can make something for audiences. And then that's just such a beautiful interaction to me. Yeah. Right. That human element will never be replaced by any screen or technology or, exactly. or nonsense like that. Right. Yeah, I agree.